Great. Thank you, Patrick, for reading for us. And uh, welcome to all of you uh, from me as well. Let's pray, shall we, as we look at those words uh, together. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you that you have given us uh, so much to enjoy here at uh, Holy Trinity. And we pray that you would help us to be good stewards of it. And we pray that as we look at these words of yours, uh, that you would uh, help us uh, to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, I've heard it said that there are two subjects that every vicar dreads preaching on. Uh, The first is the Trinity, and the second is money. (laughs) Uh, It's probably true. It's certainly true in my case, at least. Uh, But if we are Christians who are driven by the Bible, then money is a topic that we can't avoid, can we? Because the Bible has a lot to say about it to us. Uh, If we're followers of Jesus Christ uh, here this morning, then what we do with our money really does matter. It does matter to our God. It's not something peripheral. It's not something kind of out on the edge. But it's actually a core part of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to be part of his body, uh, the church. Uh, That's not my words necessarily. That is, I think, the teaching of the Apostle Paul here in uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians is uh, a great letter, and there's this middle section here, section sort of chapter 8, chapter 9, which is Paul teaching particularly on Christian giving. Uh, He's teaching a group of, to be honest, pretty immature Christians uh, about how they should be giving. And he does it in this section by looking at the example of another church, which is the Macedonian uh, church here. Uh, And I want to uh, just uh, look at those uh, 15 verses that Patrick read for us, and I want to pick out three principles for Christian giving uh, that I think the Apostle Paul uh, gives us, and I want uh, us to uh, consider what they might mean for us uh, here at Holy Trinity on this Giving Sunday. So let's uh, have a look at them, shall we? Uh, The first one is this. Mm, Is the clicker working? No, Rich last for you, I'm afraid. There we go. Great stuff. First one, Christian giving is generous. Christian giving is generous. Uh, The context of Paul's instructions here can be gleaned if you study through the chapters, uh, along with chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians and chapter 15 of the letter to the Romans. Uh, One of the projects that was very, very close to the Apostle Paul's heart uh, was this. Uh, He was looking to to, to organise a collection for the church family in Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, Jerusalem and Judea was where the church was born, as it were. Remember the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell in Jerusalem. It was the sort of birthday of the church. And it was from Jerusalem that the gospel had spread out across the Mediterranean. But the church in Jerusalem was a very poor church. They were often in great financial need. And Paul was hoping that the wealthier churches in Greece would be able to send some money in order to support their brothers and sisters uh, in Jerusalem. Well, it's clear from this chapter that at least one church had got on board uh, with, the, with the plan. Uh, verses uh, 1 and 2. Even though they found themselves in great hardship, uh, we're told that the Macedonians' overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Uh, their joy overflowed so much that it in turn led to overflowing generosity. Now, I think that would be pretty hard to say about most church families, in my experience. I've rarely met churches, actually, which you could probably say those things truthfully of them. There are times when that's probably uh, been true. But I guess generally it it probably isn't. I think it's especially surprising when we think about the situation that the Macedonians found themselves in. Uh, Paul tells us, doesn't he? He says they were in the midst of severe trial, and they were very poor. 
Well, we know that Paul isn't making that up because actually if you read the rest of the uh, New Testament background, uh, we can tell that about them. So uh, Acts chapter 16 and chapter 17 tells the story of the gospel coming to Macedonia. Uh, and you can read about it in, in your own time. But, but it's clear that it arrived in Macedonia amid much suffering. Uh, so uh, when uh, Paul and Silas uh, made it to Philippi, they were attacked and imprisoned. Uh, when they moved on to Thessalonica, again, they were attacked by a mob after preaching in the synagogue. Uh, again, they moved on to Berea. The disciples there were, were eager for the scriptures, but yet again, some thugs followed them to, uh, to stop them uh, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if that was the context in which the, uh, the um, gospel came to Macedonia, uh, it doesn't take a genius to work out that those things probably didn't change much after the Apostle Paul left. They knew what it was to suffer as uh, Christians. And yet, as one commentator has put it, uh, rather picturesquely as it were, the fire of affliction and poverty refined the precious ore of joy and generosity. Despite all this, they generously gave what they had. Uh, Sometimes it's uh, been said that it's the poor who help the poor. There's this kind of idea that when you're suffering, you kind of know what it is to be in need, and then you, in turn, uh, give as well. And I'm sure there's often a lot of truth in that. Some of the most generous churches I know actually are the churches where, in material terms, they really do have very little. But I don't actually think that's what's going on here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There's actually a deeper reason behind the Macedonians' generosity, and you can see it if you look closely in verse 1. Paul says there's a deeper reason, and it's this. It's the grace of God, the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Why are these people so generous? It's actually because God has been at work in them, changing their hearts in order to make them more generous. They they possess, actually, the spiritual gift of generosity. The, The Greek word that Paul uses is the same word that he uses for spiritual gifts. Uh, We often talk about sort of charismatic gifts, don't we? And I can guess very rarely do we think about the gift of giving. We probably think about something that to our minds seems far more impressive in inverted commas. But that's what Paul talks about here. God had given them the gift of giving. It wasn't just that they were naturally generous people, because nobody's naturally generous. It's because God had been at work in them, uh, helping them to give generously. Because Christian giving, actually, is an outworking of the fact that we serve a giving God who is at work within us. Uh, Just this week, I came across some statistics uh, regarding uh, U.S. Christian giving. So this is taken from the United States. Uh, This is the annual spend of uh, many of U.S. Christians, averagely, on uh, Christian missions. Uh, Apparently, U.S. Christians annually spend twice as much on cut flowers as on Christian missions. Uh, one and a half times as much on video games, about five times as much on pets, and about 26 times as much on soft drinks. It's quite challenging, isn't it? I mean, they are statistics for the United States, but my guess is that the UK wouldn't be that, all that different, I would imagine. Why do we struggle to give generously to Christian work? Why do, why do I struggle to give generously to Christian work? Because I'm not alone in this at all. Uh, friends, it, it's not, the answer isn't really Brexit. <laughs> It's not really the fact that you haven't had a pay rise. It's not really the fact that you're a poor student. It's not really the fact that you're part of the squeeze middle or whatever else some politician comes up with to uh, try and get elected. The truth actually lies more deeply. It's a heart issue, isn't it? 
it is for me, I know, and I guess it's for you as well. I know that there are many of us at Holy Trinity who do give really generously to gospel work, both here and uh, overseas and far from here, and that's great. But my guess is also that there are many of us, and again, I include myself in this, where probably we could give more. We could be more generous, like the Macedonians uh, were. And we need to be crying out, don't we, to God to soften our hearts, to see the needs around us, but to give us the gift of giving, that we're able to see things from his perspective, to, to reflect our generous God, and uh, to, uh, to love and serve him with our finances. That's the first thing. Christian giving is generous. Let's have a look at the second, please, Richard. Uh, Christian giving is gospel-driven. Christian giving is gospel-driven. Uh, I think it would be very easy for Paul in this situation to start guilt-tripping the Corinthians into giving a bit more, or to sort of lay down the authority that he has as an apostle, to start nagging them. He could do that, but he doesn't. And he doesn't because he knows that actually there's a far more powerful motive for giving than anything he could ever come up with. And it's this. It's the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is something that they know, but he says that so easily we forget it. He says, doesn't he, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, brothers, and yet my guess is like us, they forget it as well. Let's look more closely at that verse and see what Paul has to say. I think, firstly, Paul reminds us of what the Lord Jesus Christ was. He says, doesn't he, though he was rich. Now, there's no doubt that if we live in Norwich, virtually whoever we are, we will be among the most wealthy people in the globe. Of course we will be. And yet, if we think we're wealthy, it's absolutely nothing compared to the riches and the wealth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, think about that famous chapter in uh, two, uh, the second chapter of uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he describes the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in his pre-existence, he was in very nature God. He was equal with God. That means he was all that God is in his essential being. Uh, he goes on in the first chapter of Colossians, he says that uh, he is the firstborn over all creation, by whom all things were created, visible and invisible. There has never been anybody who has been richer than the Lord Jesus Christ. Not rich materially, of course, because Jesus said that the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He didn't uh, come with, uh, with uh, possessions. But spiritually speaking, there is no one who has ever been richer and ever will be richer than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord Jesus was. Secondly, he reminds us of what the Lord Jesus became. He goes on, doesn't he? He says, he became poor. Even though he was rich beyond all splendor, as the carol famously puts it, he exchanged it for poverty. Again, chapter 2 of Philippians uh, tells us uh, what happened. He describes it for us. Uh, Paul says he made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being found in human likeness. We can sometimes get a bit uh, dimmed, can't we, or dulled to the, uh, the power of that statement. The Son of God took flesh and became one of us. He shared in the pain and poverty of what it means to live in a world that is broken. He left the heights of heaven for the squalor of a borrowed stable. He became one of us. Why did he do it? Well, that's the last part, isn't it, of verse 9. He says, why? For your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, 
might become rich. As one of the early church fathers puts it, he became what we are, that we might become what he is. How does he do it? Again, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Because he humbled himself, because he became obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Or as Paul puts it elsewhere in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ exchanged our sinful rags for his abundant riches of righteousness. Because he died the death that we should have died, we can know in him the incomparable riches of his grace. Sins forgiven, a fresh start, a power to live in his ways, a life with God, a future hope of glory with him. And I think if we've truly understood the gospel, then actually we'll find it hard not to give. Not to want to give generously to the God who has given everything for us, who so richly and freely gives us what we don't deserve. Uh, Some of you might remember the uh, late evangelist David Watson. David Watson was the vicar of St. Michael of Belfry Church in uh, in York. And he used to tell the story of how uh, one Christmas he received through his letterbox an enormous gift for the work of the church. Uh, What made it so surprising was that it came from somebody who in the church you would not expect to be giving. It was a student, didn't really have very much money, but had given enormously generously. And apparently accompanying it was a note which read as follows. I'm afraid I can't give Jesus gold, frankincense, myrrh, or even a lamb, as an expression of my worship this Christmas. But please accept the enclosed as an expression of a truly thankful heart. David Watson comments, there in that check was abundant evidence of the grace of God in a Christian's heart. I think you'd have to agree, wouldn't you? Uh, When someone understands the gospel, it will inevitably begin to transform uh, their life. And one area that will be transformed is our attitude to our money. We'll know that we've been loved with a love that we don't deserve at all. Uh, We'll know that we're not our own, but we've been bought with a price. Actually, it's not our money when it comes down to it. It's God's. And actually, we'll want to do all that we can to share that love with others so that they realize that uh, for their sake, the Lord Jesus became poor so that they might become rich. We would want to share the wealth that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. As someone else famously put it, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then there's no sacrifice that can be too great for me to make for him. Let's look at the third and final principle that Paul gives us here, shall we? That's this. Christian giving is planned. Christian giving is planned. I'm afraid I couldn't find a G to go along with this, so you'll have to put up with a uh, a P. Christian giving is planned. Uh, Paul's been reminding the Corinthians of the example of the Macedonians and above all of the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here, I think, he sounds a note of practicality. And he tells us that Christian giving is planned giving. As far as we can tell from this chapter, it seems that in previous years, <coughs> excuse me, the Corinthians had been very keen to give, but for some reason they'd stopped. <coughs> and Paul encouraged them to finish the work, verse 10, verse 11, uh, to finish the work that they'd begun. But they're to do it, he says, uh, according to their means. In other words, I think he's making it clear that it should be planned giving. 
it should be proportionate to their income and to their resources and to the needs that they see. There's a story that's told of a wife who asked her husband for some money, and his response was, how little? Um, a pretty awful story in many ways, but I guess most of us tend to come to uh, approach our Christian giving with that kind of attitude. What's the absolute minimum that I can get away uh, with giving? Uh, for some Christians, though, it could be easy to go the opposite way, I think, and maybe that's the, the danger uh, that Paul saw here. It's easy to go to the other extreme and get so carried away with our giving that actually we become a bit of a nuisance to other Christians, and we get ourselves into difficulties. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul isn't advocating that kind of situation. And he isn't suggesting either that the Jerusalem Christians should uh, somehow get rich whilst the Corinthian Christians uh, somehow get poorer. I mean, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Be exchanging one problem just to create another one. Uh, he's not saying that at all. Rather, what he is advocating, actually, is that there should be careful and considered giving in order that there might be equality, verse uh, 13. Uh, he illustrates it by reminding the Corinthians of that experience of the uh, people of God in the desert. Uh, the Israelites escaping from Egypt in the desert, uh, th- and God provided for their needs by sending them manna uh, from uh, heaven. Uh, he provided enough for everybody, and it was distri- distributed accordingly, so nobody uh, was lacking. And he's making the point that if, if Christians who are fortunate to have more will only steward their resources wisely, then actually there'll be enough for everyone. Uh, Nobody will end up losing out. Well, how do we plan what we are supposed to give? How do we do it? Well, under the Old Testament law, the Jews were expected to give uh, one-tenth of their income to God. In fact, they didn't really consider it giving until they were giving over and above that uh, 10%, I think. Uh, Lots of Christians today disagree on whether that is still binding today. Uh, But in a sense, I I don't think it really matters whether it is or not. I think it's always a good place to start when we're considering our giving. I've always thought 10% is a great principle and we should be seeking to give on top of that. And I'd encourage you to to give that uh, some thought. Uh, We might wish that Paul or the New Testament would lay down some sort of hard and fast rules for Christian giving. It might make things a lot easier, wouldn't it? Uh, Because they'll take those and formulate something and, and do some planning on top of that. But that isn't the way it works, actually. Paul is is far more flexible. There are just some key issues that he says. The key issues that the giving should be planned so that no one ends up uh, being found in need. And it should be done ultimately with willingness, verse 12. He says, if the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Uh, Each can be considering how much to give in accordance with their own resources, in accordance with what God has given them, in accordance with the needs of other Christians. And above all, they should do it not because they feel they have to, but because they want to give it. They should give willingly. As Alex reminded us earlier, God loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to give willingly. Those are three principles for Christian uh, giving. Uh, What does that look like for us at Holy Trinity? Well, let me sort of try and tie things together and offer some suggestions. I I think, at the very least... Uh, we can't avoid the fact that Paul clearly expects that every Christian, whatever their their circumstances, is making some kind of financial contribution to the gospel work of the local church. Uh, I don't think we can avoid that uh, from that. that There is an expectation that if we're followers of Jesus Christ, then we're making some kind of contribution uh, to that. Uh, If that's not true for you, then may I lovingly suggest that you put that right as soon as you can. 
It might be for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, I know when I was a student, I didn't give very much at all to the church I was part of, and one of the reasons was I just thought I didn't have very much money and I needed to make it go as far as possible. And in retrospect, I think that was wrong. I should have given because I think the Lord encourages all of us to give, regardless of our circumstances. It might be that you've, uh, you're quite new to Holy Trinity and it's one of those things that you just think, yeah, I need to get that sorted, I need to sort of sort my giving out, I need to transfer it from my old church, the church I'm at now, or get around to it. I'll do it at some point, but you've never done it. Uh, why not make this morning the time to sort it out? So there's a pink standing order form uh, here. It's available on the, on the, um, the uh, sort of wooden uh, stand in the meeting place. Grab one whilst you're having a tea or coffee. Uh, take it away with you, fill it out, and return it to our treasurer, Sam. You can put it in his pigeonhole uh, by the door where you came in, and that would be great. And there's a gift aid form as well next to it if you pay tax. Uh, just get it sorted. It might be, however, that you are giving to the work of the gospel here at Holy Trinity. And if you are, I hope you don't feel got at, because we are enormously grateful for all that you give. I am aware that people do give sacrificially at Holy Trinity, and that's a wonderful situation uh, to be in as a church family. But I do think, however, it's good practice for all of us to regularly review our giving, to think about it. Uh, Our circumstances inevitably change. Uh, Our money doesn't, situation doesn't stay the same throughout our lives. It it goes up and down. We all know that. And it's therefore, it's right for all of us to review our giving. Uh, It might be that we find actually we've got a bit more left over and we can give a bit more. And that's great. And we can. It might mean that we actually, for a season, need to perhaps step things back a little bit. Who knows? It might be that we're just aware in the church family of of more needs. And and we uh, can see a need and we want to give to, to help to that. So I want to encourage all of us, including myself in this, to spend the next week or so, next two weeks, perhaps prayerfully committing our giving to the Lord as a church family. Are there areas in which we might be able to give a bit more? Uh, What would that look like for us? Do we need to adjust it in some way? I'd say we're certainly going to be doing that as a a family. It's right that we do that on a regular basis. And I hope that's uh, something you're able to do as well. Uh, We are incredibly fortunate, aren't we, at Holy Trinity Norwich? We have wonderful buildings, we have uh, wonderful resources that other churches can only dream of. Uh, We're blessed by a generous God who gives us far more than we possibly deserve. Well, let's pray, shall we, that he would help all of us to give generously in return, to steward it wisely. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you are a generous God. You do give uh, so much more than we deserve. You give us materially, but above all, you give us spiritually. You sent the Lord Jesus Christ. He became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. We pray that you help all of us to evaluate what our financial response should be uh, to you. Pray that you help us to be wise about our finances. Pray that you would give us the gift of generosity that we're able to give generously uh, to your work. And we pray that through our giving that uh, not that our name would be glorified, but that you would have the glory and the Lord Jesus would be proclaimed from this church forevermore. Amen.